What's up, everyone? How are we doing today? For those of you watching, you can still see I'm currently sweaty. This is post-workout. I went and ran uh, on not the track, on the field today. I had a bunch of thoughts accumulate. I decided to come home and hop straight on this pod- Ooh, podcast as I almost knock over the microphone. I got a cup of orange juice with some creatine and we're ready to roll because screw it. You got thoughts. You got to get them off your chest. Let's just make a podcast. So um, cool topic today. Uh, first off, first off, first off, by the way, I cannot forget my ad. You want to join the Always an Athlete team, feel free to join it. That's my ad on the Train Heroic app. Seven day free trial. Give it a go. You might like it. If you don't like it, you don't need to stay. All right. Well, I'll keep my ad short and sweet today. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit um, about some things I've learned as I slowly sip on some orange juice here. Excuse me. As a, you guys were watching this back, you see, the thing I'm posting on YouTube, all the creatine is at the bottom of this orange juice here. That is disgusting. I just picked it up and have a drink. I'm filming myself. And so obviously I can see the other side of the cup and it is just pure creatine on the bottom of there because I did not mix it up once. I realized that. Oops. All right. So um, cool topic today. I want to talk about what I've learned from working with these professional athletes and some of the most important things, uh, the biggest takeaways I've had. And uh, there's actually quite a few. So I might do a couple of series on this. Um, but today it's a perspective thing. Um, and it's really changed how I view training. And as I get talking about it, you all understand where I'm coming from. So about two years ago, we two and a half, two two years ago, uh, maybe less than two years. No, maybe a year ago. Um, I had some big changes in how I view training and Reed Travis came out here to lovely. I wanted to train with me for a summer. And during that time, I, I really wanted to go all in on understanding training as a holistic process. And so by doing such, I was like, look, Reed, I want to go to all of your skills workouts. I want to do all the training sessions with you, at least in the weight room. Um, I'll rebound for you at the skill stuff. I won't obviously do the skill stuff, but I want to be as immersed in this as possible. And the reason was I wanted to uncover some grand assumptions I had made as a strength coach about how training should be done. Because in the cool world of professional athletes, you're not confined by contact hours or time or whatever else. These guys do this for a living. You don't need to try and fit 90 minutes of work in 90 minutes. You're not required to do that. You're just required to do what you need to do. And so going through this process, I learned that as a professional athlete, the actual weight room portion is typically, now in Reed's case, it's actually pretty important because we're doing a lot of a movement that is a very hybrid work. Um, to give it a short answer, he was trying to work on moving more like a guard. Let's just call it that. And it required a lot of elementary movement patterns, repeated exposures. So we had a quite a bit of time working in the weight room. But you realize even that work is not more than half, normally only a third of the total training volume that athlete incurs during a day. And this was a huge mindset change off the bat because so easy perspectively wise, you think the athlete is like you. They, you like lifting weights. So why wouldn't the athlete like to lift weights? You like to train. Why wouldn't the athlete like to train? You like to get torched in the weight room. Why wouldn't the athlete like to get torched in the weight room? All these things are assumptions I used to make. And so with that, I would I would train the athlete like I would train myself. 
Um, and you end up doing a lot of things that are just kind of a waste. The athlete has so much load during the day through from other activities that are more important than weight room training. That if you don't consider the effects of weight room training on the rest of the day, you're really doing your athlete a disservice. So here's an example. You might be a gym goer like myself, and you might be able to go do a 60 minute workout, a 90 minute workout, heavy legs, get a sweet pump going on. And then that's all you got for the day. Because my main event for the day is lifting. But the main event for the athlete is not lifting. <laughs> that's a tertiary event at best. You might have this live play, you might have skills, you might have ball handling, you might have mental prep, film. It is not the lifting that is the, the primary event. But for us, it is the primary event. And when you get that perspective wrong, you put an emphasis on training that shouldn't exist, at least in the weight room. And here's what I mean by that. It's so often I would load someone the way I think loading should be done for myself because I haven't played a sport in a while. And you think about, oh, you want to get bigger, faster, stronger. Well, I've gotten bigger and stronger by doing this. So this is what the athlete is going to do. And they do like nine different exercises in the weight room. They'll do, I used to program like Bulgaria. I used to do back squats and then Bulgarians after, then GHRs and then RDL. And then you work down, right? You work down from a big compound movement to an isolation movement. So you might do something like two major compound movements. You might do a back squat. You might do a, you know, a RDL. Let's say those are the two major compound movements. And then you might do, before that, you maybe did some jumps because you want to get a power component. And then you did some smaller muscle work like a GHR and a split squat. And then after that, you might do a knee flexion exercise, a knee uh, extension exercise, and a calf raise. Jeez Louise, that is an exhausting workout. Like that's a very tiring workout. And you might be able to do that because that's all you have for the day. You, the coach. But you, the athlete, you have a lot more than that in the day. You have a lot you're doing. And when you go through all this, you realize, my gosh, we overapply loads. We overdo it time and time again. An athlete should not be sore. They don't need to be tired. They're going to be tired because they have a bunch of crap going on outside of the weight room, that's way more important. I'd rather have them be tired from the skill work and their shooting and stuff than the weight room. Another thing is, I ask myself, why am I doing all these exercises? What's the influence? The influence is typically from a bodybuilding, powerlifting realm. It's never from the athlete realm. You're always doing two major compound movements because someone told you you should do two major compound movements. Like who's to say that the back squat doesn't work the glutes enough that you have to do an RDL? Who's saying that? Or why do I have to do a split squat after I've already done back squats? What was the point of the back squat if I have to do split squats? What? Why? Why don't I just do more back squatting? If the back squat is so important, let's just do the back squat. The split squat is so important, let's just do the split squat. Why am I doing a split squat and a back squat? Are they really innately that different? And the answer is no, they aren't. They really aren't. And so that was the first major takeaway. And that kind of led to two actions. One was I understood how much loading Reed was going through. But number two, how I could just be really efficient in what we did. Okay, let's do just a back squat. Let's just do a Bulgarian. Today, Reed had a workout. This is August, whatever. This is his workout. Are you ready for it, people? 
He did six sets of two reps of the pin squat. And he did six sets of two reps of a drop jump. Then he did some ISOs at after his training session on the court. That was it. That was the entirety of his workout. Now, as a strength coach, you might go, what? There's no way he can get stronger from that. Not possible. Okay, well, first off, I really question the belief that we need as much volume as we apply. I've seen people get hell of a lot stronger doing a lot less than what you can imagine. Number two, if the numbers are going up and he's jumping higher, who cares? What is the purpose? Is the purpose to just do lots of work in the weight room or is the purpose to get better? If he's getting better, hmm. If he's getting better with less effort, even better. <laughs> That's dope. That's called being efficient, people. Okay, so let's say that. Now, that led to another thing of mine. It led to workout lengths. So what happened is Reed had a lot of things he needed to do. And I was like, by gosh, by golly, how am I going to incorporate all this stuff? And I thought to myself, well, we're just going to do what he needs to do. I don't need every workout to be 60 minutes, right? We're so taught 60 to 90 minutes, 60 to 90 minutes. Oh, let's get a warm up. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do this. Let's do that. Why don't we just do what we need to do and be done? And that what's, that's what hit me is like, look, the workout length is a symptom. It's a byproduct of the workout goal. There is no length a workout should be. You could argue actually for some cardio aspects, sure, like 10 minute, minute requirement. Talking about athletes here, a little more specific. There's no requirement for a workout length. I am working out to apply a stressor, a stressor to the body. However long it takes to apply that stressor that is necessary is how long the workout will take. Think about that. I don't need to have a hour-long workout. I don't need a certain number of exercises because what happens is when you have a set time, I'm going to be training someone for an hour. You just start throwing bullshit in. It's true. I have done. And this is actually something I, I got over as well. This is actually something I got over a while ago because I used to talk to my clients quite a bit about this in personal training. It's like, look, I don't know if we're going to be here for an hour. How would I? I can't predict the future of how, what your body's going to respond tomorrow and what you need to get done. Sometimes they get tired and they go home early and sometimes they're doing great and we extend it. But in a professional setting, they're not even coming in for one time slot. They're here. They're a professional athlete. They can work out many times in a day. So what do we do? We find a way to get done what we need to get done and not worry about the time. The only reason why I track time in a weight room is to make sure I'm actually not there too long. Because sometimes you just start having fun and you get carried away and you're there too long. I only keep track of time in the weight room to make sure we're not in the weight room. <laughs> saying that out loud, that's kind of funny. Because in the previous life, I was like, all right, trying to get to that 60 minute mark. No, come on, fam. That's not how that works. We just have to get better. The more you start to think about this from a first principle standpoint, the reason why you're actually doing things, the more you realize you do a lot of things that you don't need to do. Another one is fatigue mitigation. Reducing the amount of fatigue. Fatigue is a beast, man. Fatigue sneaks up on you. These athletes work their asses off, especially outside the weight room. They will get overtrained without ever touching a weight. They'll just hoop all day. Knowing that, I have to be very careful with my loading in the weight room. 
And this is, again, coming back to that efficiency thing. I cannot just do random exercises. I cannot apply random movements. I cannot have random training stimuli. I don't need to do a back squat, a split squat, a knee extension, a calf raise, a GHR, slide board. Oh my gosh. That will that can push you to the edge without ever playing the sport. But if you play the sport and do that, man, you're walking a tightrope. It's like we don't think the sport actually prepares the body for anything. Playing the sport gets the body ready to play the sport. Playing the sport is tissue loading. If you were the coach, the strength coach, and you were told that this athlete is going to do three, four-hour workouts, and you could only control one of them, would you really keep your workout another hour long? Or would you be like, look, we're just going to do exactly what we need to get done because I know you're going to do this other three hours of work. So my four hour, my fourth hour, that one hour lot I have, we're just going to do what we need to get done. And we're going to look at fatigue and be careful about fatigue because fatigue creeps up. Fatigue is not linear. Fatigue is accumulative. You know that. You're listening to this. You know that. You've traveled before. I know you've had a night out. It's not the night out that gets you. It's four days down the line. And you're like, shoot, I am tired. It's the accumulation. I very rarely is a single acute spike in loading going to manifest itself in large systemat- or systemic fatigue. However, during finals week, it's not the first final that gets you. It's the last final. By that sixth day of test, you're like, geez, Louise, I am gassed. It's accumulative and it's typically exponential from what I've observed. It's not like, oh, I'm a fatigue level of one and then two and every day is just an add-on. It's one and two and then three the four. It's like one, 1. 1.5, 1.7, 2.25, 6.7, 9.00. You're sleeping on the couch now. It makes sense because a lot of your hormonal responses in the body are curvilinear. A lot of things in the body innately are curvilinear just due to the fact that you're a system and the system operates by sacrificing different areas. And the minute a node breaks, you can think about it in terms like uh, you guys have probably seen the movie Chernobyl or something. We have system failure. One thing goes down, everything just spins into chaos. That's kind of how your body works. It's like a house of cards at times. And it's just hanging on for dear life. Um, there's a Simpsons reference of that where Mr. Burns goes to the hospital and Mr. Burns, uh, the doctor goes, oh, Mr. Burns, um, you have every disease. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, imagine this. He takes all the door and he has all these little funny like beanie baby diseases and he shoves them all in the door at once and they're all stuck. And he goes, see, like no one disease could take over because they're all competing over each other. And Mr. Burns goes, I am invincible and leaves. And the doctor was like, no, actually, a single breeze could could be enough to send you into chaos. And that single breeze could be that single workout sometimes for an athlete. Right? It's never just this linear marching ground to fatigue. If it was linear, it'd be so easy to avoid. It would be so easy to avoid if fatigue was linear. You would just do less. Quantifiably less. Like if you did a level eight workout and you have a level eight response and you're tired... And you know, every day you recover four points. So next day it'll be a four. I could just recover one day. I'm back to a four. And the next day I could just do like a two and I'm back to a two the next day. Cause it's minus four again. Cause we were at six cause of four plus, you know, you get the deal. And we get four plus two is six. The minus four is two. And then we do blah, 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 blah. You get the idea. I don't need to 
go down the path of a shoddy example. It's just not linear. It'd be easier. It'd be really easy to understand fatigue. But it's not because it's controlled by a sympathetic branch, the nervous system at times, because you can have basically an overriding system of your autonomic nervous system saying, screw it, we're getting through this. And then it pays the piper down the line kind of deal. So these are all things I've understood and learned from working with these professional athletes. It's been so eye-opening. It's really made me question lots of my previous training methods. And it's really helped me in my current training methods. Because it doesn't make you question in the sense, I'm going to sit here and ponder the philosophy of training. No, you go out there with an open mind. I feel like, you know, what is it? Darwin went to uh, oh the Galapagos and looked at all these different animals and that was an eye-opening experience. And he started drawing these pictures of birds and stuff and how they adapted for specific reasons. He went there, the scientific mind for acute and chronic observation. And that is how I feel at times. Yes, I just equated myself to Darwin, I guess. Um, it's probably not an accurate equation. <laughs> equation. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> that Whatever. It was like equating yourself to Newton or someone. Just the point is you want to have an open scientific mind and go and try and understand the world of training, not just through one specific lens, but through many different lenses and really come up with questions that are sprouted by observations that are conflicting. Like a conflicting observation was how much work Reed was doing outside of my lifting. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. I was tired just rebounding for him. I can't imagine what he feels when he's working out. And so time and time again, I come back to that. And the big takeaways are don't make time be the goal. Make the goal be the goal. When you do the goal, you're done. Don't waste time. Don't make up exercises. Do what you need to do. Understand the specific stimulus. Fatigue is accumulative. It is not linear. It's typically exponential or some sort of function that is not linear. Otherwise, it'd be way easier to manage. Challenge yourself with thoughts and ideas. Um, challenge yourself through a scientific mind of observation and then break it down to first principles and really understand why and what you're trying to do. And then again, this trickles down to like the exercise example I gave. If I was doing back squats, why do I need a split squat? Is the back squat not good enough? Do I really need to do all this stuff? I need to do what I need to do. I need to find ways to mitigate fatigue. So that's the structure, the organization, when we train, how we train, length of training, meals in between training, getting out of a sympathetic, re-entering a sympathetic state, all these type of things. Find ways to take a break. You don't need to do all of your training load in a certain block of time. You have all day. Stop thinking about training in hour sequences. Just think about training and balancing that training relative to fatigue and readiness. Then it's a continuous spectrum. It's a continuous process. So those are my big takeaways. I want to share them with you. There's also a lot more, by the way, that I didn't dive into, that I will share another time. Um, more the psychology of some of these athletes. They all want to work their asses off. They work really hard. And I think it'd be an interesting discussion to have there, how meticulous they are, how professional they are. But for today, for today, I just want to talk a little bit more of the training side. So I hope you guys enjoy as always. I appreciate you all. Take care. Peace out.